You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, if you're using the black hardcover Bibles from the chairs in front of you or around you, it's on page 974. Follow along with me, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Tonight we're gathered in anticipation of tomorrow, Christmas Day. All of the Advent season is filled with anticipation. It is looking forward to the day that celebrates the incarnation, the birth of Christ. Our annual rehearsing of this waiting is meant to orient our hearts, souls, and minds toward the fulfillment of God's promise that a Savior would come. And as we prepare to celebrate tomorrow, Let's be filled with joy via three truths that Paul, the author of Galatians, anchors in the birth of Jesus. First, that we are redeemed. Second, that we are adopted. And third, that we are given the Spirit. And so first, joy in that we are redeemed. As I said a moment ago, all Christians, each Advent season, rehearse the waiting and anticipation of a Savior. Truly, Advent for the Christian is a thinking on the coming of Christ. And we should think not only about how a Savior came, but firstly, the need for a Savior to come. Right? Our best rehearsal puts us in the mind of the Israelites who for thousands of years waited for and yearned for fulfillment of the promise God first made to Adam and Eve in the garden. Truly, all of Israel's history included a waiting for the promised future figure that would be everything that Adam was supposed to be and failed to be, and who would fulfill the promise that God almost immediately made to Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden, that a Savior would come to defeat Satan and also destroy the power of sin and the curse of death. If we don't keep an understanding of these promises by God and our need for them to be fulfilled because of a rebellion against God, it's impossible for us to adequately anticipate the arrival of a Redeemer. It's impossible for us to appreciate how God fulfilled his promise and his promises in Jesus. In our rehearsal of the waiting for the incarnation, we don't look past our guilt and our shame, nor do we undermine the significance of our rebellion. If we do, we may think that Jesus came only to be a great moral example, or perhaps to save us from a boring or uninspired life. On the contrary, we know that Jesus came to save us from tyranny and the rule of Satan, and from death and from hell. And how does Jesus do this? How does he save us? Right? As it says in Galatians 4, he redeemed us. Redeem means to obtain or set free by paying a price. And the price God paid for our liberation from the penalty of the law was Christ himself. In Galatians 3, a chapter before 
we read this evening, three verse, verses 13, or verse 13, it says this with additional precision. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. God paid the high cost of our redemption with the life of his son. And he sent Jesus into the world knowing that this cost would be paid. Truly God pays all of the cost to create the peace that we have between ourselves and God himself. Whenever we sing lines like peace on earth and God and sinners reconciled, okay, favorite lines from favorite Christmas hymns of ours, right? We know it is God who redeems his people into that peace. And so we have joy in the incarnation and we anticipate the incarnation of Christ because we know it is by Christ, the one born that Christmas day, that we are redeemed. And so that's us being redeemed, redeemed, joy in being redeemed. Second, joy in that we are adopted. Our redemption leads to our adoption. And this verse in Galatians, along with others in the New Testament, places adoption at the heart of the gospel message. This is because God is the, the father of the fatherless, as it says in Psalm 68. And as it says in Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us, this is God, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. God from the beginning of time planned to adopt us into his family through Jesus. That is truly awesome, right? That's something that we're anticipating and celebrating having happened, right? And it's awesome, especially when considering that God adopts us, even though that we were by nature children under wrath, under his wrath, living in rebellion against God. Likely due to the current Supreme Court case regarding abortion law in states across our country, there have been more, at least, at least it seems to me, there's been more stories of adoption floating around different news channels. I, went, I read one recently uh, where a young boy was listed as unadoptable by an by a adoption agency because of frequent misbehavior, what they called undesirable behaviors. This was a child who was struggling to find balance, consistency, stability, and love. And more than one family looked over the child because of an inability or an unwillingness to welcome the child into their home. But the story did have a very happy ending. I was happy to read about that in the story. And I'll race to a comment that the boy's new mother made about the positive change she began to see in her new son. She said, the stability in my home was something that he had never experienced before. He began to see and understand that he was loved. And in spite of his behaviors, I wasn't going to send him away. If you're like me, you love that story, right? It's a great picture of the gospel message that this family would sacrifice to welcome a new child, a new son into their home and never send him away. That's a picture of God redeeming people and then adopting them into his family, right? See this, God does not mirror human adoption. 
Humans have not been adopting throughout history, and therefore God mirrors that in his plan. Instead, stories like the one I just recounted mirror the divine adoption that God makes of his people. Adoption is at the heart of the gospel message, and it has been since the beginning of time. It's God's plan for fulfilling the promise made to Abraham. What Paul writes about a few verses earlier in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. He writes there, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Anyone who believes in Jesus is in the family of Abraham, including Gentiles, which includes most of us here tonight. You and I are now the family of Abraham. Fulfillments of the promise made by God to Abraham that through him all the earth, all the families of the earth would be blessed. This joy in being adopted is joy in knowing that we are no longer outside the family of God. Instead, we're within and a part of the family of God. This is true even as we await the full experience of adoption that will come with the resurrection of our bodies into the new heaven and the new earth. For now, we have full confidence knowing that when Christ died for us and when we were redeemed, we were legally and permanently placed into the family of God. So we have joy in the incarnation because we know it is by Christ, who is our brother, that we are adopted and made God's children. So we are redeemed, we are adopted, and third, we have joy in being given the Spirit. We proclaimed earlier in our responsive reading, we long for that day when Jesus will return as triumphant king, when the dead will be raised and all people will stand before his judgment. We face that day without fear, we said, for the judge is our savior. It's a stirring image, right? Is it not? It's filled with much drama for us to look up and see the judge being our savior. But will we really not have fear? Shouldn't we have fear? How do we know for sure that our salvation is secure and that neither God nor Jesus will forget who we are? How is it possible that we will face that day without fear. It's because we have the Spirit in our hearts. What Paul wrote in Galatians, he also writes in Romans 8. There it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It is one thing to be adopted and have a new legal relationship. And it is more to be given the spirit that bears witness to our new heritage. The spirit of the son is set into our hearts. We are not left as aliens when he adopts us with only a legal standing, but no experience of acceptance and love. Rather, God pours the spirit into our hearts to give us the experience of being embraced into his family. The Spirit is also the witness of our sonship. Later in Galatians, Paul writes that it is by the Spirit that we know God 
and that he knows us. Our deeply personal and spiritual bond with God removes all fear of our standing before God. We do not need to check our adoption papers, right, to be reminded of our sonship. Instead, our experience in our hearts guides us to cry out like only a true child can, Abba, Father. Right? When we celebrate the incarnation, we are celebrating the coming of Christ who made it possible for the Spirit to be sent into our hearts. Without the incarnation, without the Spirit coming to us via Christ, we would face the day of judgment with fear. We would not know God as Father, and He would not know us as sons and daughters within His family. So our anticipation of the incarnation is a remembrance of this initial standing in rebellion, and our celebration is of the love displayed in Jesus' coming, not leaving us in judgment and condemnation, but instead removing fear and making peace between us and God himself. Friends, let these truths encourage you that we are redeemed, that we are adopted, and that we are given the Spirit. And let them also awaken your hearts, souls, and minds to what Christ has accomplished. As Christians, we celebrate what the world calls myth, right? That Christ was fully God and fully man, conceived by the Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We celebrate all of this and we call it historical fact. And we celebrate the incarnation as the arrival of the long-awaited Savior, the one promised by God from the beginning of creation, foretold of by the prophets, and born to save God's people from their sins. Our Advent season, our season of waiting is almost over. When it ends, let it end with a full celebration of who Christ is and what it means for us to be redeemed, adopted, and spirit-filled sons and daughters of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.